Welcome to Quest, where we believe a great faith, great church experience, and great life is grounded in authentic relationship with God and living life with friends. Join us today in changing our world one friendship at a time. If you would like more information about connecting at Quest, stay tuned after the message. Okay, because of writing this message and because it's Valentine's weekend, I got to admit to you, I've had a song stuck in my head by Tina Turner. What's love got to do with it? It's a different kind of intro to a message today. I contemplated putting a wig on and uh, with all the hair and kind of, you know, trying to do this, but I figured that would be such a scary sight that it would scar you forever. 80s live on forever, don't they? In the song, Tina, Tina talks about she's attracted to this guy and flat out lets him know that she's not wanting to fall in love. In her words, what's love got to do with it? She's not looking for a quick thrill, yet she's real disappointed she's because of disillusionment around feeling love. She seems to reflect a heart that's been broken. The song says that and doesn't want to be emotionally vulnerable again. So she wants to keep it safe. She doesn't want any emotional connection or depth of commitment. She doesn't want the energy to be put out to, for, to hope for something more. And I think that at various times throughout our lives, many of us can relate to that feeling of disillusionment about what does really, love really have to do with it. How does this apply to the message? Put a pin in it, hang on, we'll come back to it. We've been studying the Holy Spirit and for the past several weeks have looked at key metaphors in the Bible about the person of the Holy Spirit to help us get a clearer sense of what it means to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Today we're going to get more into the practices of how we walk it out and living in the Spirit. Again, Jesus said it is better for him to go away so that we could know the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit does many things. One of the things that the Holy Spirit does in living through us is he helps change us and bring bring good fruit of our lives, out of our lives. It says the fruit of the Spirit is, and maybe some of you can say it with me, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When we follow the Holy Spirit, he makes us to be more loving people. He changes our hearts, our motives, the way we're wired. He helps us learn to increasingly stop before we say something mean and helps us notice someone else's need. But another thing the Holy Spirit does is give us gifts. And there are various lists of gifts of the Spirit. You can see a slide on the screen now of different places where there's various lists, and that's not all of them. But one key list is in Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. Paul clarifies that the gifts are given to all. He says, now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. The purpose of them is the common good. So Paul identifies some of these gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to Christians and how they do powerful things. He says this, to one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these, he says, are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Now, let's get a little bit of the background here. He's speaking to the church at Corinth. 
the church at Corinth is one hot mess. The city was a major hub known for its politics and philosophy and art and entertainment. There was huge disparity between the rich and the poor and a plethora of religions and spiritualities to choose from. And the city was wild with its various forms of sexuality and expression of sexuality. Sound familiar at all? There was this group of followers of Jesus, the church, trying to figure out how to walk faithfully to God in the midst of all this, how to honor God, how to honor the government, how to use their finances, how to live sexually in a way that honors God, trying to follow him. However, in the midst of all these kinds of drama and sinful behavior going around them, they're also experiencing these same things and struggling with them, and they're not a good witness to God in those moments. And one of the things they were abusing that Paul talks about is spiritual gifts. Some were lording their gifts over others, making them feel inferior or bad. Some were trying to exercise all the gifts, even the ones that the Holy Spirit wasn't giving them. So Paul writes this letter to help them refocus. In that context, isn't it interesting to notice that amid all the immaturity and sinfulness, Paul tells them to eagerly desire the greater gifts. He says, seek the gifts. You would think he would tell them to stop. But no. He says eagerly desire. And yet Paul does add, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. This most excellent way is described in the next verses. Paul gives this incredible passage about love. For many of us, we often overlook the depth of what Paul is describing in this because it conjures up dresses and rental tuxes and unity candles and hearing of wedding bells for us. But these beautiful words in context are actually Paul pivoting the church with a warning by describing love. He begins, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels and do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, we all want to be that, right? Of course not, right? If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing, he says. If I give all I possess to the poor and give my body over to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. He is saying... You can have all kinds of gifts and all kinds of power. But if you don't have love in your heart, you are just noise. That's it. The love is not about romance or infatuation in this passage. It's not warm, fuzzy feelings. It's the Greek word agape, meaning self-sacrificing love. The kind of love that is to be behind all of our actions. The sacrificial love of putting others first. This is the love God had for us in sending his son Jesus to die and restore our relationship with him. These gifts of the Holy Spirit are motivated, he's saying, are intended to be motivated by the same love that motivates us to give up our lives for others. He goes on and says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, 
always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Those always can be a really reorienting thing for us when we're struggling to love, can't they? Paul then makes this clear argument. He says, love never fails or it never ends. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stifled. They will, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Paul is saying love is better than tongues or prophecy or any of the gifts because love will never end. The great New Testament theologian N.T. Wright describes it this way. He says, spiritual gifts are merely a signpost to the future. When you arrive, you no longer need the signposts. Love, however, is not just a signpost. It is a foretaste of the ultimate reality. For when we are in Christ in eternity, we will no longer have a need for these gifts. We won't need prophetic words or healing. We will be completely whole. We will know what we need to know then. But love, love never ends. So what's love got to do with it? Absolutely everything. Someone once said, love is the thing that which if a church has it, it doesn't need much else. And if it doesn't have it, whatever else it has doesn't really matter very much. See, that's what Paul is saying to us. Love is essential to the life of the church. And yet he goes on in the very next verse and he says and reemphasizes, getting back to his topic that he sandwiched this in between, he says, follow the way of love and... Eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Follow the way of love as you practice these gifts. Now, we're going to talk about the other gifts of the Spirit, but Paul emphasizes here prophecy, so we're going to spend the rest of the day talking about that, uh, how more, more practically we can engage with this gift. A few weeks ago, we touched on the gift, gave an illustration for it, as we talked about the Holy Spirit being like breath. In the very beginning of creation, the Spirit hovered over the chaotic waters, and His Spirit in Hebrew is ruach, meaning breath. And the Spirit then spoke, and there was light and land and sea and animals. Life comes from God's breath, from His words, His Spirit. And we continue to see how God uses His breath, His Spirit, throughout the Bible. This makes sense because throughout history we've seen how words have been used to either bring life or to bring harm. I mean, through words, through lies, nations, churches, families, and all kinds of relationships have been devastated. Scripture says the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. The Bible tells us Satan is the father of lies. So wouldn't it make sense that God would use our speech, our words, to bring life? And it helps us see how prophecy can be one of the major ways God destroys the work of the enemy. The Word of God, the Bible, is is the major way God speaks to us in life. It's the foundation from which we know if prophecy is from God or not. But for now, let's focus on what Paul wants us to understand about prophecy. Now, prophecy is defined in many different ways, but the definition we'll use today is simple. It's this. Prophecy is hearing and sharing God's heart for an individual or a group that will comfort, build up, warn, or encourage them. 
Now, there's some overlap between this and other gifts like word of knowledge or word of wisdom. The gift of the word of knowledge is the ability to know by the Spirit something specific related to something God is wanting to do that you couldn't have known except for God revealing it to you. Like maybe God tells you somebody's dealing with a pain or something and wants to bring healing to you through them and you just don't know that. They've never told you. There's no way you'd know that, but you go and talk to them and you find out that's indeed true. Words of knowledge often cause greater faith and often release gifts of healing and working of miracles. The word of wisdom is often a supernatural leading of the Holy Spirit that gives a person wisdom in making decisions or handling situations beyond what they could understand or know on their own. Now, we don't want to get into all the weeds of all these various definitions and how they, you know, explanations. The overarching goal is simply this. It's about learning to hear God. Later this year, we're going to do a short series more on hearing God's voice, especially in regard to making decisions. But today, we're focusing more on learning to hear God for others. When we talk about prophecy, we often have three groups of people. There's the first group who's stoked and they're going, yeah, let's get going. Let's do this. There's a second group that's kind of going, yeah, but I've not experienced it. It's unfamiliar. And the questions come out, is this biblical or is prophecy really for us today? Those are questions we ask ourselves. And there's a third group of people that may be thinking, well, I've had a bad experience with it, so I don't want to go there. You were disappointed with your experience. Maybe it was used in a manipulative or even a painful way or at least a very way, a way that was confusion-oriented and just you got lost in it and going, what in the world was this all about? It was disorienting. And those experiences are wrong. And I'm sorry for those of you who've experienced those. I've experienced manipulative, harmful uses of the prophetic in my life, in Wendy's life. I've faced this. Those moments are really challenging to navigate, to try to figure out that it wasn't God and it was really just another human's words and they weren't really speaking for God. That's a hard thing to figure out. And I want to pause here for just a moment because... There are some of you here who have had that. And because you've had those bad experiences, you've got a wall up to this. And I want to invite you now to let God remove that wall. For you to forgive the people who hurt you and cause confusion. And for you to just open your heart. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you that for you. But, but if that's you, I want to pray for you right now. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would come to each and every one of us who've experienced abusive uses of this gift, wrong uses of this gift, that have been hurtful, disoriented, confusion-oriented, that have alienated relationships. Lord, I pray that you'd help us right now and just say it under your breath, just say, I forgive whoever did this. And Lord, would you help us open ourselves up again to you? Because your word says this is good. Your word says to eagerly desire this. So Lord, would you open our hearts and help us learn to experience this in healthy ways. In Jesus' name, amen. See, many of us have baggage. But we need to remember 
that in our scripture, Paul is speaking to people in a very messy, dysfunctional church in Corinth. And yet he still admonishes them to eagerly desire the gifts, especially prophecy. Despite all of the messiness, despite all of the immaturity and the abuses of it, Paul is encouraging them to continue to seek prophecy. Apparently, prophecy, in Paul's mind, is deeply important to the life of the church family. Paul is saying prophecy is a central gift. It's essential for the church. It's not just an add-on like, give me guac on my burrito bowl. God wants prophecy to be active in his church. He wants us to hear his voice and share his voice and messages to other individuals and to groups And that should be a normal experience for the church. I think we all want a God who is wise and powerful, but I think we want something more than that. Prophecy can show us that we have a God who is also personal, a God who knows us, intimately is attentive to our hearts and to our pains, knows what we're going through. He knows what kind of decisions we are struggling with. We want a God who speaks peace when there's chaos all around us. We want a God who speaks comfort when there's no comfort to be had. We want a God who speaks courage to help us walk brave and bold into uncertain situations. We want a God who speaks specifically to our current reality. And the Holy Spirit, through a prophetic word, helps us to encounter God in that way, that he knows me personally. See, I think it's one thing for us to read the phrase, God loves me in the Bible or elsewhere to hear it. But when we get a word from God showing that God sees you in the circumstance you're in, that, that in a way that just you know it is from God, that he knows what you're going through, That makes that truth of his love become so much more heartfelt, so much more impacting. So how do we practice this gift of prophecy? Here are a few practical tips. First, we don't sensationalize prophecy. Paul's actually trying to make it normalized. It's normal for the church to experience this gift. Second, we realize it can get messy. We acknowledge that up front. For some reason, God has set it up that he works through people. Because God uses people who have mixed motives, people who are in different places in their journey with God, it gets messy. Somehow in his wisdom, in his plan, that's the way he does things. And if that's his plan, I don't think God is afraid of messes. Paul was not afraid to clean up a messy church when he needed to. I think what was more concerning to Paul was a church that was lifeless, that never tried, that never had a mess to clean up. But I think our default tendency and our desire to control life is that we want to keep things tidy and not messy, controlled and comfortable. And honestly, that's dangerous because it leads to us ignoring certain gifts that God has set up for the church to have in order to live this life. Without these gifts, I don't think we can live anywhere near the life God wants for us to live. Because of our concern for messiness that can come from prophecy, 
God actually in, gives instructions in Paul's letters, in Romans and Corinthians and Thessalonians and Timothy and Peter's letters and Jude and Revelation. There's lessons to be had in learning how we exercise this gift and other gifts in mature, healthy ways. But the point is, prophecy is the norm in the early church. We see it all throughout. And it's supposed to be the norm in today's church as well. Third, I think some of us may not experience more of the prophetic, not because God is not speaking, but because we're not aware of God speaking. So there's this element that we need to practice becoming aware of how the Spirit speaks and how the Spirit leads us. Maybe we struggle because we think his voice needs to sound like Morgan Freeman or something. I don't know. Yet God most often sounds more like a whisper. And sometimes like our voice because it's God's spirit living in us as his followers. His messages are often simple and they're easy to miss. He's gentle, often subtle. Yet he's not trying to be mysterious or manipulative or distant, but he is trying to invite us into engaging with him relationally and learning to distinguish his whisper and his voice. And God's whisper comes in various ways, like a thought or a feeling or a bodily sensation. It may be a memory that comes out of the blue or a picture or images that come to mind or an intuition or an impression or a phrase or a scripture or a quote or maybe a dream or a vision. And you can see all of these ways being demonstrated by God in scripture. Sometimes a prophetic word is to be for an individual, and sometimes we're supposed to share it to a group, and sometimes you're hearing God for yourself. So when you have a thought or a sense or an image or a dream, ask God if he wants you to share the word. God may be inviting you to tell a person, or he may be inviting you to just privately pray and intercede for that person and never tell them anything. Part of learning to hear his voice and do this is discerning the difference between those decisions and how we use it. When we learn to discern those things over time. Now, you might also be thinking, I'm not so sure I'm hearing God. So how do we know if I'm sensing God is speaking? Well, Paul says it in context of this text. He says, test it. Weigh everything. What is of God, keep. What is of not of God, throw it out and set it aside. And the way we do that is to answer several questions. And there's probably more than this, but here's, these will get you a good start. Does it match with what Scripture tells us? That is the number one question across the board. Another question, does it sound like Jesus? Does it treat people like Jesus would treat people? And when we do tell other people, is there a sense of confirmation in telling them that God is in this? See, after Paul tells us to eagerly seek the gift of prophecy, he tells us, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. And indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. And then he gets back to specifically to prophecy and says, but the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging and comfort. So here Paul is asking us to assess the words we are sensing that may be from him and ask the question, do they strengthen, encourage, and comfort? 
after we share a word with someone, we also don't just say it and run off. We ask the question, does this match what God has been already speaking to you? What God has been inviting you into? Or we ask the question, does this spark a sense of the Holy Spirit in you? Do you feel like God may be actually speaking to you in this? If it doesn't, that's okay. It's possible it still may be God, but we can shove it off the side. And we can wait until it find out whether it's God. If it resonates, we can then just say, well, let's pray more about that and see if God wants to say more. Let's pray into that word. Or they can take the word and pray into it for themselves on their own time. See, the whole process is we need to be open to feedback. We acknowledge we may not have it right. But if love is our goal, then maybe we won't hurt others in the process. Remember what Paul says in chapter 13? He says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. Sounds like we're not getting it all right there. But when completeness comes, what is a part is in part disappears. See, what Paul is saying is completeness has, completeness has not yet come. We are not face to face with Jesus, so we don't go around saying, thus saith the Lord. We say, you know what? I had this sense and maybe God is speaking to me. And this is what came to mind when I was praying for you. In the vineyard, we say faith is spelled R-I-S-K. We risk. We step out. We desire to get it right, but we can't and we won't all the time. So we acknowledge that it may be a mistake. We may not be getting it right. See, God wants prophecy to be an integral part of the church, so we need to practice. And I don't know anyone who practices without making mistakes. So can we just be okay with that? See, our desire is to be a community that believes God speaks and wants to speak through us, but to do it in a way that is loving. Some of us may have more gifting in this area, but from what Paul is telling us, he says, we are all to eagerly desire to want to prophesy. All of us should practice and grow in hearing God's voice for others so that we can be a body who encourages one another in hearing God. We practice. We step out of our comfort zones knowing that love is always our priority. As we think of another's, another's well-being, we ask ourselves, how do I share in ways that are encouraging, comforting, and edifying? Fourth, another reason we miss hearing God's voice is when we come together for a church, we oftentimes come together as spectators rather than active participants. Part of participating more actively is about coming to church with a mindset of expectation that God wants to speak to me today. God, I need you. What do you want to say to me today? That's a good and godly desire, an active participation. But we should also come expecting more than just receiving for ourselves and being, and being spectators. We should come expecting God to possibly give us a gift for someone else to care for those around us. What if God brings you to our gathering time and has something for you to give to someone else that day? 
to speak through you a word of encouragement that makes them know God is real and God is there with them. Remember how Jesus spoke to the woman at the well? He goes to the well and he's aware of noticing others. He's paying attention. He sees this woman and gives her a word about how he knows that she has no husband and has had five prior men that she was married to and she's now with someone who's not even her husband. This is kind of a word of knowledge example. Her response is, sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. What would it be like if we were praying and asking God for words and pictures for others each week? Words for others within the church and even words for people outside of the church during our week, asking God, how do you want me to give to others And how do you want your spirit to give to others through me today? I just love it when we have people share stories about how you're experiencing God, how you're hearing his voice. If you're you're hearing his voice, if God's speaking to you, if God's doing miracles in your life, I want to encourage you to tell us, to email us. And, you know, you can have permission. To, we'll ask permission whether you want us to share it or not so you can share it confidentially. But it's, it's so encouraging for us to share those stories and testimonies with others. It strengthens us to hear how God is working in the midst of us. So as we close today, I want to invite Erica Nelson, who's going to come, and she's going to share an experience. And every time I've read this and I heard it, I cry every time, so just be prepared. But this is just a beautiful story of how God used prophecy in her life. So by the time I was 27, 28 years old, um, I had experienced a reoccurring theme of abandonment. And the abandonment was caused by the same few people in my life. And the abandonment was both physical abandonment as well as emotional abandonment. I was married for the second time. We had a blended family of seven. I had two children from my first marriage, and he had three children. And I was preparing myself to be kicked out of our home again with my kids. He had not said the words yet. Um, We were in our second year of marriage, so I already had learned the patterns, the behaviors, the actions. I was just waiting But I was also frantic and desperate to stop it. Because to think about having to go back to my mom and ask to move back in with my kids was humiliating. And to think about telling my friends and family that my second marriage, and I was still under the age of 30, was a disaster. And that it was failing. And that I was failing were conversations I didn't want to have. Um... We were living in my hometown of Galleon, which is about an hour north of here, and I was working in Westerville, which was quite the commute, especially with weather and traffic. And although he, my husband, was able to take the kids to school and to daycare because he didn't work the majority of the school year, he opted not to, which meant that I had to get them up very early and take them to daycare, typically between 6 and 6.30 in the morning. I only ever saw the morning daycare workers because I was there so early or the, after, the late daycare workers because I was the last parent rushing in at 6 o'clock to pick my kids up. But Parker, um, she was my youngest at the time, was in preschool. And this was a, a Christian preschool, although I had not been engaged with church and I had fallen away from God probably about a decade before. I did want them to have some sort of experience. So they were in a Christian um, 
Christian daycare, and Parker loved her preschool teacher. She talked about her all the time, just how kind she was and how loving she was. And uh, on this particular morning, I was dropping the kids off after a night of being up most of the night, just trying to figure out how to keep my marriage from crumbling. I was tired, and I just wanted to get to work to escape my life. So I drop the kids off. I get them settled. I'm headed towards the door. And this woman comes rushing, and then she grabs my hands, and she says, you're Parker's mom. I said, yep, I'm Parker's mom. And she introduced herself as her preschool teacher, and I thought, oh, what happened? She's coming to work three hours early to tell me something that Parker did. Like, how bad could it be? But it wasn't, she wasn't there for Parker. She was there for me. And she started to tell me, about her, her morning devotional time and what she would do every single morning. She would get up and she'd get her a cup of coffee and she'd sit down with the Bible and she'd open the Bible and she'd start to read the Bible and she would pray and just spend time with God. And that particular morning, God brought her a vision and it was my face. We never met. She didn't know who I was. But God told her, that's Parker's mom. And Parker's mom needs to hear from me and she needs to hear from me today. And you need to go find her. And she did. So I'm standing there, and we're holding hands, and she's telling this to me, and I, I don't have any, I don't, I don't know what to think. Because although I did grow up in church, we did not talk about spiritual gifts very often. At least I don't remember. So all I could do is listen. And she looked me in the eyes, and in first person spoke the word of God directly to me, and she said, I know your pain. I see your tears. And I will never leave you. I instantly was on fire from my head to my toes. And I didn't know what that feeling was. I can tell you that I remember thinking, oh my, my life is such a mess that God sent this stranger to tell me that my life is a mess. I now know that that feeling was the Holy Spirit washing over every part of my body. And I've experienced it since many times now. It's as if the Holy Spirit was hugging me in that moment. She then hugged me, and she prayed with me, and I went to work. After that, things got worse. My fears were realized. He did kick us out. I did have to move in with my mom very temporarily, but I decided in that moment that I was not going to allow this to happen to me and them again, and I got my own place. Things continued to honestly get worse from there. They got worse for some time. But eventually they started to get better. Because even though I was not actively participating, God continued to work in my life. And eventually that experience, along with other experiences, led me back to church. And led me back to this church. And I now can tell you that I know that God helped me get back on the track that he always had for me. He never left me. He will never leave me. And he has me where he wants me to be now. I am now married for a third time. We also have a family of seven, a blended family. I have my two daughters. This one that's singing, that's, that's Parker. That's my little peapod. Um, Parker and Addie are my, my daughters. Um, my husband had a daughter from his first marriage, Lana, and then we have Ronnie and Luke together. And it still amazes us. We are now in this church and we're following God together, even after all of the years and years of poor choices and mistakes and heartbreak, how he is now blessing our family. It's 
It's unfathomable, honestly, sometimes when we think about it. I never saw that woman again. I don't know her name at this point. And if she walked through those doors, I wouldn't know her face. But I am so grateful that her obedience to God prompted her to immediately stand up when she got that word. And she came to work three hours early to see me, someone she had never met. And those words, although at the time I didn't, I didn't know the magnitude of them, they did start the path back to God. And I'm so grateful that she had the courage and strength to give me, give me that. And I will carry that for the rest of my life. We've all been in situations where we've needed words like that at different times. Can you imagine receiving a word like that when you're in that kind of a place in life? Can you imagine the joy of what it would be like to be able to give a word like that? That's what we're inviting all of us to. And it requires practice. Sometimes we'll get it wrong. Man, the times we get it right, it's amazing. Not all those times we get it right will be as profoundly powerful as that time. You know, I, I, I sometimes wonder that if the, if the woman who gave it to Erica really fully understands how powerful it was. But it was. God wants to speak to you. We are the body of Christ. He wants to speak to you to encourage and strengthen others. For you to be the voice of God that lets them know that God is real. God knows their name. God knows their circumstance. And he loves them. We hope you encountered the love of Jesus in this message. If you'd like to be a part of the ministry God is doing through Quest, whether in person or online, go to questvineyard.org for more information. If you want to worship God by supporting Quest financially, go to questvineyard.org give. May God bless you this week as you partner with God to change the world one friendship at a time.